Chapter Eighteen of Gypsy the Talking Dog, a story for young folks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Gypsy the Talking Dog, a story for young folks by Tudor Jenks. Chapter Eighteen: The March Upon the Foe. Galopoff had been living so quiet and peaceable a life that while he was very happy, he had found things a little dull. Now that he was going to pass an exciting night, to have a fight perhaps, and maybe take some sound whacks from the gypsy's sticks, he felt several years younger already. His eyes were bright, and he swished his tail and tossed his mane as he practised kicking a sort of stuffed bag that had been made for the purpose. Galopoff had some time before told his master that he wanted a kicking bag. A kicking bag? What's that? the prince asked. Why, it's like a man's punching bag, something to practice on. Sometimes I just must kick. Now Terence is a good boy, though he has some of Patrick's faults, and I don't really want to kick Terence. And yet several times I have felt tempted to send Terence flying through the stable door, merely for exercise. So I think I would like a kicking bag. The prince knew that Terence was in no danger, but he had a large leather bag made and hung nicely in reach of Galopoff's sharp little heels. It didn't last very long, for Galopoff kicked it to pieces in about six weeks. He told his master that it was a great relief to his mind. Now, in thinking of their expedition, Galopoff aimed kick after kick at the kicking bag and made it go whack against the stable ceiling again and again, so that Terence knew that Galopoff was very happy. It was a sure sign. When Galopoff had kicked himself somewhat out of breath, he rested a little and began to think. Then he had another of his good ideas. He remembered what a jolly little fellow Chris was, and how brave he had been when Gypsy Joe came to reclaim the dog, and Galopoff decided that he would ask Chris to be one of the rescuing party. Galopoff was never locked up. Both the bar of his stall and the door of his stable were arranged so that he could open them from the outside or inside, by ways known only to himself, his master, and mistress. Turning about, he raised the bar of his stall, opened the stable door, and was out in a moment. The sun was just setting, and Galopoff galloped away along the road, towards Christopher's home, where he arrived just after dark. Galopoff couldn't whistle, and at first he couldn't think how to bring Christopher out. He had never talked with any member of that family, though he knew Gypsy had told them he could talk. Remembering this, Galopoff went up near to the lighted windows and gave a low whinny, and then called, Chris! Oh, Chris! There was no answer. Galopoff went closer to the window and tried again. This time, Chris came to the inside of the window, raised the shade, and looked out. He could not at first see much, looking from the lighted room into the darkness. But as his eyes became used to the change, he saw Galopoff standing near the house and knew him at once by his white mane and white tail. Opening the window, he said, What is it, Galopoff? Anything wrong at your house? Not at all, said the pony. We're always all right. But I have found your dog, Gypsy. Found Gypsy? exclaimed Chris. Why, I thought he was in Europe. He came back. I haven't had much time to talk with him yet, but he's in trouble. Somehow he has fallen into the hands of the Gypsies again and they're showing his tricks at the county fair. But we must rescue him, said Chris. We will, 
said Galopoff. That is why I am here. I came after you. Go and ask your father whether you can come over to my home and may go with my master to get the dog away from the gypsies. Go at once, for I wish to take you back with me. Hurry, Chris. Chris closed the window and pulled down the shade. While Chris was consulting his father, Galopoff went round to the front door and waited impatiently for the boy to appear. When the door opened, Chris and Helen both stood there, and as usual, both began to talk at once. Galopoff didn't understand a word. Ahem, <coughs> said he. It's a charming duet, but I can't tell what it's all about. Chris, since you are going with me, suppose you let Helen have a few words. Thank you, Galopoff, said Helen. I just wanted to tell you that father says Chris can go, and that I've brought my gold piece, so that you may have some money if you need it. Here's mine too, Chris added, drawing it from his pocket. Very well, Galopoff answered. Put them in your pocket again, hop on my back, and away we go. Chris caught hold of the mane, leaped on Galopoff's back. Helen waved her hand and wished them good luck. Galopoff gave a quick bound that almost unseated Chris, wheeled about, and trotted down the road. When Galopoff reached his home again, he told Chris to go up to the house and explain to the prince that he was a new recruit for the expedition. And meanwhile Galopoff advised him to take a little nap until it was time to start. Chris found this advice good, and followed it, after a little talk with his friend the prince. At ten o'clock, Bruno came trotting into the yard, and was warmly greeted by Galopoff, who praised him for being punctual. In a few minutes more, the prince and Chris came from the house, and the expedition was ready to start. Galopoff invited Chris to ride, and the prince and Bruno went alongside. It was quite a long walk, but the prince was too heavy for Galopoff to carry and they did not care to take any other of the horses with them. After Chris was mounted, a large bundle was strapped to the saddle behind him, and then the four members of the rescue expedition took the road for the gypsy encampment. It was a cloudy night, with occasional glimpses of the moon. As they were still a long way from the encampment, they did not mind making a little noise and talking a little. Bruno, who had a great respect for the pony, kept close to his head, and the prince talked with Chris, explaining what Galopoff's plan was. Now that Chris had joined them, there was a change made. It was decided that Chris should be the one to release Gypsy from his chain, and that the prince should do his part in the conflict with the men. On the way, the prince stepped to the side of the road, and cut himself a stout cudgel. He did not mean to use it unless he was forced to defend himself. Chris had no weapon, since he was to take no part in the battle. Bruno needed no other weapon than his teeth, and Galopoff always had his four hoofs with him. And then, besides, there was that mysterious bundle strapped to the back of his saddle. Now they were coming near to the gypsy settlement, and it was time the bundle was opened. They drew aside into a piece of woods, and the prince took the bundle, opened it, and drew from it some clothing. Then, to Chrissy's amusement, the prince shook these things out, and Galopoff, with his master's help, proceeded to put them on. The costume, which had been made by Lola to fit Galopoff, was of coarse sheeting, and was like a giant's pyjamas, being a loose jacket and trousers, but with tapes instead of buttons to fasten it. Besides the clothing, there was a tall, white, pointed cap, from which hung a loose veil to cover Galopoff's head, and having places cut for his eyes. 
When this was all put on, and Galopoff stood up on his hind legs, he made a curious figure, a figure very amusing to his friends, who had seen him put it on, but one that would be really terrifying to any who did not know what it was. "'What do you think of my dress, Chris?' Galopoff asked when Bruno was out of the way. "'It's the funniest thing I ever saw,' said Chris, laughing. "'It may be funny to you,' Galopoff answered, "'but you will find that it will scare those dog thieves out of their seven senses and a year's growth. "'And by the way, be sure to warn Gypsy about it, or he may be scared too, "'for I shall make some blood-curdling shrieks if my voice holds out.' "'At this moment Bruno came near again, and so Galopoff had to stop talking. "'He could not have said much more anyway.' for now they saw the gleam of the gypsy's bonfire through the woods, and all were silent, creeping nearer and nearer to the sleeping camp. Even Gypsy himself, who was wide awake and anxiously looking for the arrival of his rescuers, had nothing to warn him of their approach until Galopoff gave a wild cry at the top of his lungs, which he did to make everybody in the camp look that way, while Chris slipped around at the other side and came close to Gypsy's wagon prison. Again Galopoff called aloud, and then was silent. Everybody in the gypsies' camp awoke, and all gazed into the darkness that surrounded them, wondering what could have made so queer a noise. Meanwhile Chris, unnoticed, was making his way to the wagon where Gypsy was chained. End of chapter 18